Welcome back to your next stop. This is Juliette Hahn. So if you guys have been following the show for a long time, you know, in the summer I do reruns and this was my first recording after um, having the reruns in the summer. So this was so exciting. I love when I connect with someone that is on my level in the passion creative world and we can just get into really powerful conversations. So my guest is Julie Flaxstead. We had the most beautiful conversation her story. There's so many pivots, but so many building blocks that take her to where she is right now, which she is the founder of the Midlife Truth Project. You can find her on all the socials, Julie Flaxted, and that's F-L-A-K-S-T-A-D, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can also go to her website, julieflaxted.com. You can also go to the midlifetruthproject.com. She has been written up in the Sunday paper with Maria Shriver. I mean, Julie is just doing some really powerful stuff in the midlife world for women, but it's not just for women this episode because there's so many different little nuggets that Julie shares throughout her life that have gotten her where she is. You guys do not want to miss this. Enjoy this episode. And I know you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome back to your next stop. I am Juliette Hahn. You know, I say this every single time, but I am so excited to bring you a story of someone who is inspiring. So welcome, Julie Flaxdad. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's Friday. (laughs) It is Friday. It is Friday. And we, you know, and my listeners know your next stop had a lot of reruns this summer because that's what I'm doing now, like having like highlighting things. But Julie and I um, have talked I mean, so many different times. And I'm going to take you a little bit through where you can find Julie, because I know as you guys are listening to this, you're going to be like, wait a second, I need to know more. I need to know more. So Julie is the founder of the Midlife Truth Project. It is this beautiful, I mean, story of women going through the next stages of their lives. And that's one of the reasons why we connected because I think at that time that we really were connected, I was going through a lot of crazy hormone stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm level now, by the way, still getting my period for all that you want to know. Um, I'm not, I'm in the late perimetopause, um, area. So just a little side note, but you can find Julie really anywhere. You can find her at the midlife truth project.com. You can also find her on every social. And I'm going to spell her last name for all my dyslexic listeners. That is F L A K S T A D. One of the other things you can find Julie, cause she is a beautiful, beautiful writer. There is an article, the Sunday paper with Maria Shriver that it just will give you the chills. And so I mean, really, Julie, welcome so much to your next topic. Can't wait to dive into that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And just to kind of be clear, because it can be confusing with all these different platforms, it's really simply on Instagram, Julie Flaxdad, at Julie Flaxdad, and then my website, julieflaxdad.com. You can find all the information you need on the Midlife Truth Project. Might be easier. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, and and this is the thing, and this is what we're going to get into, the evolving... Uh, I mean, how we evolve and we really connected on so many different levels because not only have we both evolved throughout our years, but we also, um, one of the things that I love so much about you is your drive, but I, and your grit, right? We talk a lot about grit, but I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and, and go back to the beginning. Like who is Julie? Um, and I hate that, you know, not who is Julie, but like, where did you grow up a little bit about your early childhood? I love kind of diving into that because I always feel like that really paints a picture for people. Um, 
And so if you could just kind of give a little background on, on your early childhood. Absolutely. Um, you know, I do believe that everyone is the sum of all their parts. I do think people's childhood and backgrounds, you know, is a, is a, is an important piece of the puzzle. So I grew up in Westchester County, um, to, um, to parents who were immigrants from Norway. And my, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, my parents divorced in the second grade. So, um, and, I really do appreciate the fact that although difficult, my childhood was difficult, it really did shape who I became, I think, as a person. My father was this larger than life um, guy who was an entrepreneur, shipbroker, who wheeled and dealed, you know, his way on like a big walkie-talkie style uh, mobile phone at the time, barefoot in swim trunks, living in the Caribbean. And my mother, on the other hand, you know, she was a divorcee, very much like one day at a time. And Romano, for anybody who remembers that show, kind of, you know, trucking to the train station in her sneakers and suit, trying to raise two teenage daughters alone. Um, and so she, whereas my father struggled with alcoholism, um, he eventually died from cirrhosis. Uh, my mother struggled financially and also with her mental health. So although both of them were tremendous characters, um, my mom's superpower was being a creative for sure. Um, it was difficult. And I think looking back at my childhood, I was someone who really wanted to be fiercely independent, fiercely in control, radically self-motivated for, for being that age, but because I had to. So I think, but the reality is I think I was probably a little girl kind of with lots of little band-aids all over herself <laughs> trying to keep it together. Right. I mean, and the way you picture, uh, I mean, just painted that picture. I mean, you can, you could see it, right. You could see your dad, you could see your mom and you could see these two kids kind of standing on the outside, just trying to figure out life. I mean, and what we talk about a lot in, uh, on this podcast and, and my other podcast is adults have their shit too. <laughs> yes, we do. When you're, and when you're parents and now that we are parents, it's always interesting. Even if you're the most stable person, cause you've dealt with, you know, your, your childhood traumas, you've dealt with traumas. There's always things that you're doing that are going to kind of screw up your kids a little, right? And if we can keep it where it's an open conversation, and that's one of the things I love that you're able to kind of go back and talk about that. And I think it's really important for the listeners to hear because whatever traumas that you've gone through, it is important to not, and, and to find a space. So find a therapist, find a friend, find whatever you're comfortable, but kind of unpack that. And that's why I love starting this podcast with going into a little bit of, of childhood. So if you can take us a little bit now again, because you said you were that fiercely independent child, right? Your, your mom struggled financially. You were living in Westchester. If anyone knows Westchester, Westchester is an affluent area. I grew up in an affluent area as well in New Jersey divorced parents. So I kind of know when you are in the affluent area and you seem like you're affluent, people don't realize there's always that like, okay. Um, and it's not the, wait, how do I survive? What do I do? But you kind of have to do things for yourself a little bit. Totally. And so getting 
jobs, you know, getting jobs, doing things like that. So if you can take yeah. us through a little yeah. bit of that. Sure. Oh my God. I, I definitely had my fair share of that. You know, again, it's not like it was, you know, struggling to, you know, get through the day type of struggle, but it, it was uh, still a struggle. I mean, a child is a child, right? And so my sister and I were latchkey kids. My mom was, you know, they were divorced. My father was not in this country and we would see him sporadically. Uh, he was a presence, um, sometimes a scary presence, but um, he was a presence. And and so we had to fend for ourselves. You know, we got her, so we took the bus to school. We got home. We made our own lunches. I, I remember vividly a huge part of my middle school and, and high school years. I had a paper route. First of all, I played sports, right? So, um, and so, but on top of sports and schoolwork, I delivered, I had a newspaper route, right? And so for anybody who remembers what a newspaper route was like in the, in the eighties, I mean, I had a, I had two newspaper rights, routes. I delivered newspapers <laughs> to 150 houses. And so to put that into context for anybody who doesn't know what that was, I literally had to go back and forth to my house and restock all the papers on my 10 speed, rain or shine. I had to literally throw the newspapers onto in front of some people's steps for 150 houses. And then once a week, I had to go ding dong and ring the doorbell to collect the money from the weekly paper from each and every household, right? And I can promise you that not everyone would answer the door, but I didn't get paid unless I got that money. So I was persistent. <laughs> well, I mean, but again, someone can listen. And this is again, why I love stories and how stories connect us because you can see, right? You We're painting this picture of, um, of this kid that, right, is independent. And has grit because at how old were you? 12, 13? Yeah. 12, 13, 14. Yeah. yeah all those years. But yeah, I made you bank. Had to go. I made bank. Right. I'm sure you did, but you had to go ring the doorbell and you had to make sure you got the money. So it was probably at times where like, if it was working parents, you had to go when they were fe trying to feed their kids. Right. And you had to stand there and wait and do all those things. Do you have any vivid memories of like any, like any place that you knew that they were going to try to skirt you and, and, and creative ways that you were like, no, I have to get this money because again, you needed to get paid because you also, you know, you're a teenager. You want to be able to, to buy things and you don't want to, pressure on your parent that you know is is doing the best that they can. Yeah, no. I mean, looking back, you know, I th think what I recall from scenarios that have stuck with me today was that and it really did shape who I am was standing in the doorway of all of these different houses it was usually I don't know why I think it was like a Wednesday it was typically when I started to collect and I had to make conversation right with adults um, and I had to look them in the eye I had to smile to, regardless of what kind of day they were having or how many kids they were trying to feed as they were kind of digging through their wallets you know trying to find you know the exact whatever two dollars and 39 cents that I needed to collect whatever it was is that I had to, um, I had to converse, I had to connect with them. And that has really continued to be a red thread in my life through um, everything up until what I'm doing right now with the Midlife Truth Project is this ability to connect with someone where they're at um, and and have kind of, I mean, at the time, I don't think it was a meaningful conversation, but just that ability to connect based on where they were at um, and stand there courteously, curiously, politely, 
um, and, and wait for, for them to give me what I needed, <laughs> which at the time right. was like $2 and 39 cents. <laughs> but also regardless, not regardless of their day, but also regardless of your day. And that's what I think is also really important. Cause it's also like, okay, I have to put my big girl pants on and get this done. Yeah. I mean, at the time I, I really think, and maybe I, I do think people suppress a lot. I don't look back on that and think about, I don't think I thought at the time about where I was in the scheme of all this. I just had that will and to use your term, that grit and that determination of saying, I'm getting this done. Because the bigger picture was, is that getting that money to me felt like control. It felt it was my own independence. It allowed me to exist in my social sphere, to do the things that I wanted to do and not need anybody, which was way more important to me um, at the time. And when I continued to have that mindset for, for decades, um, rather than how I was doing emotionally, right? And so we all know where that story is going. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, so then this brings me into to college. And, you know, I want to get to the Midlife Truth Projects, but I would love to still because I know you have some really key points in your life that were really pivotal. I mean, one, you know, I know, uh, and I'm going to have you tell a little bit about, you know, how you drove yourself to college yourself. I mean, and then again, I'm going to not, I'm going to have you share that, but then jumping to when you were like, no, I'm getting this job because I have this plan in my head and I know I want to get it. And again, I can see that little 12 year old being like, no, I need my $2.39, right? That, that 12 year old being like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I need that. And so that Again, I want, as you guys are listening to this, I want you to think back in your life about things, moments that you're like, wait a second, I can see that red thread. I can see how the all, and I call it connecting the dots, but how those dots continue connect and you use them as a stepping stool. So again, if you can just take us a little bit through the college. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, and there are so many red threads and I am such a believer in connecting the dots. And that is I mean, why I love the Midlife Truth Project is because I, I'm able to help women on the in these interviews to connect the dots within their own lives and the period of life that they're going through right now, which we're which we're defining as midlife. So you know how that kind of how I continued on in in college was with this kind of ultimate determination of saying of really being very clear about what I wanted and what I was going for. I knew based on looking around me that even though my parents were immigrants and even though they had never, they never took me to a single college interview. We did interviews back then at colleges um, and tours. They never took me on a college tour. I somehow managed to visit these schools, get to these interviews. And even so much as I drove myself to, I went to Hamilton college in upstate New York. And I drove myself um, up there. In fact, that's not true. My boyfriend at the time, who was older than me, drove me to college, right? And I will never forget what it was like, you know, pulling up there. I lived in this dorm called Kirkland and, you know, it was, it was this Tudor building, exactly what you would see in the movies. And all of these kind of Volvos and, you know, other, you know, preppy cars pulling in and comforters with lots of floral prints and um, all these parents moving in their, their young daughters. And I remember getting out of the car with like kind of two duffel bags. I think I had a carton of wine, uh, which is crazy to me. I, or maybe it was, I don't 
think I like, I literally carried the carton of wine in, but I think I like, had it in my bag. Um, and, and I just kind of sauntered in and was like, all right, this is my jam. This is, I guess is where I'm, I guess I'll take the top bunk. Um, and, and it was, and, and, and a lot of these girls came from very fancy boarding schools and private schools. And I had gone to, you know, an 2000 person public high school. So I had done, I had done all the kind of stuff that I needed to do kind of early on. So I felt like college was really, was for me about other things than just socializing. But and then, you know, you, I love that you remember our initial conversation about some of these points, like that kind of will of saying, I knew I wanted to go abroad for junior year. I knew, I knew what I wanted. Um, and so similarly, fast forward, one experience that I think exemplifies that is saying like, is saying what I know, what I don't know. Um, but I know how to ask the right questions. And that is something actually that my father instilled in me. He said, you're getting an education, you're going to college, not because you're supposed to remember what you learned in that econ class, uh, but you just need to know what are the right questions you need to ask to that accountant, right? Or that whatever person to, to figure out the answer. So it's not about knowing, it's about knowing what to ask. And so fast forward, you know, I, I'll never forget in my twenties as well. I, I was, had just moved to Norway because I had decided again, intentionally, like I was going to move to Norway after college because the 1994 winter Olympics were happening in Lillehammer, Norway. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but we're, we're, my parents were immigrants to this country. I had gone back and forth to Norway every summer to visit parents by my, by the way, flew alone with like the Paddington bear, white little envelope <laughs> around my chest saying, hello, all you pedophiles, you can take me because I'm flying. I'm by myself. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so I really wanted to go back to Norway after graduating and what perfect, there was no better way than to kind of hitch myself to the Olympics bandwagon. So anyway, so fast forward, I mean, I could tell you stories about how I got that job and, and, and how I used kind of my power, superpower of kind of connection and finding maniacally trying to find the answer, um, towards getting that my first job at sports illustrated, um, which was, you know, like the miracle job post-graduation. But the story I was going to tell was after my gig at, at Sports Illustrated, I found myself in Norway. I wanted to stay there. I was living in a small apartment at the time with my sister. We had chose, we had decided we were going to live for a full 12 months in Norway. And long story short, I ended up in conversation with somebody who said that they were going to start the first professional Norwegian golf championship in the country of Norway. They had never had a golf championship ever. Mind you, I had never played a round of golf in my life. And I thought to myself, well, who do I know that knows somebody um, that knows golf, right? Well, sure enough, I remembered the Solheim family. They, they own Ping Golf, or they did at the time. Ping Golf is one of the biggest golf companies out there. And, um, so I got, I, you know, I had met them at the Olympics with Sports Illustrated, uh, and I had connected with them and I, um, felt like I had a good, um, you know, uh, a good communication with them for lack of a better word. And so when I found out that this championship needed a top sponsor, I picked up the phone and I called Alan Solheim, president of the company. <laughs> and sure enough, again, fast forward, didn't know a thing about golf, called my father, like what's two, what's like par three, what's par five, like what's, what's this, what's that? He answered the questions that I needed to know. And within 
two and a half months, I had sold the top sponsorship to Pink Golf for this championship and made a 10% commission on that sale, um, which set me up for the next year. <laughs> and I was I, like 20. <laughs> right. So this is, again, what I want people to take away from this. And this is what I love so much about Stories Connecting. But this is also what I love so much about your story is... You can see, again, that little girl standing on that doorstep being like, I need my $2.39, right? And then thinking about all the people you connected with. And as you know, as you said, your dad had his demons, but your dad also had some great things that he taught you. And it was connect with people. And it's not that you... And, and this is what I want people to think about because there's people that have personalities to do it. There's others that don't. So when you don't have a personality to connect, you have to use other tools to be able to do that. You definitely have a personality that connects. So it also is a benefit for you. But what I want people to know and hear is that... Um, and I know you shared this with me. It wasn't that you were 100% confident all the time. But again, that independence comes back and you have goals. So it's like, okay, I need to set aside feelings and I know what my goal is in life. And I need to kind of not think about what kind of day I had. I know what I want and need. And so if you can kind of build off of that a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, because mind you, I was living... Uh, I had chosen to stay behind in Norway. I was going to live there for a full year. I didn't have any money. And I can promise you there was no support from where from back home. Uh, my father had made that very clear post-graduation. Um, so I had to make money, right? So I could either waitress, you know, seven days a week or I was going to close this, this, this contract. So anyway, <laughs> so I, I, I think, I think in life, look, I, I think you have to, really sit back and say to yourself, you know, what do I like pause, take time to reflect, figure out how you're going to be intentional about what you want. And then what is in your arsenal? What is in your toolkit? How can you get there? Right. And I say this, mind you, because if I really were to be honest with myself and look back at my kind of thirties in particular, and then even my forties, I don't think I took time to pause. Um, I think that my grit, my unwavering need uh, to be independent um, kept driving me so much so that I think I said a yes to a lot of things because they kind of were in front of me. And I was like, yep, I'm going to go for that. You know, yep, I'm going to go for that. Um, and I had this kind of this drive, right? I don't think that I really sat back and chose to pause and say, hmm, okay, where am I right now? What do I like about where I am? What do I not like about where I am? And what kind of changes am I going to make to get to where I'd like to go? Uh, and and I and I I think that's why you know fast forward I'm doing this midlife truth project is because I'd love I want to give women an opportunity to pause and reflect. Um, and the interview is that it was one part of, of being able to do that. So just to, to kind of go back, you, you answered what I was getting at because it really was, again, it's not, it's not about a hundred percent always being a hundred percent confident in what you can do because a lot of times we say yes to things that we know we can figure out. 
And that comes again with a building block. So your life, you have built this confidence, right? So if you maybe didn't have the childhood you had, or you didn't have the paper out and you didn't have this and you didn't have that, would you be as ballsy? I like that word for you. Like, would you be a ballsy to be like, wait, I know I can, I, I know I can close this, right? You had the confidence and the will, but you weren't always a hundred percent comfortable in your skin. And so that's what I want people to hear. It's like some people think that they can't go for it because they're not completely ready. Mm-hmm. They're not completely ready. They, they're afraid of the failure where you weren't afraid of the failure. And I really, I truly believe the, the stepping stools that you had as a kid, that paper out being one of them, because it was probably so many times people said no, or that you couldn't get them. And you're like, I got to be creative. How do I figure this out? How do I figure this out? And you realize, okay, I can use this. I can do this. I can create this to be able to get what I need. And again, not a need, a selfish need. That's what I don't want people to think about. It's not a selfish need. It's not like an ego thing. It's really, you knew where your strengths were and you were able to really build off of that. And again, I go into this so much on, on all my podcasts about knowing your strengths and weaknesses and really helping when you're, when you're a parent, thinking about that for your kids. Like, and it's not a negative to be like, okay, this is not one of your strengths. I mean, you know, this is a little bit more of a weakness. So let's kind of focus on these strengths and help you build on that. So, and, and so there's really not a question in there. It's more of like you, and you answered it, but it's it, you, uh, you know, we don't always have to be a hundred percent completely confident in that we're going to be able to figure something out, but we know that we're going to be able to like, it's, it's a, it's like almost like a knowing it's like, okay, I might not be comfortable today. I might have had a shit day, but this opportunity came in front of me. I need to put my big girl pants on and be like, let me go for it. And I think that really embodies who you are. And again, I think you've always had a great plan um, in your head. This is what I want to do. And so I would love for you to take us now down the path of, you decided you wanted to go to business school. Kind of take us through how that came about. I think half the battle is knowing what your strengths are, uh, knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. And also and using creative solutions to figure out how you're going to supplement, right? I knew very early on that I could connect with people. I knew I could get the the $2.37. We've kind of beaten that one down. Um, and I knew that if I tapped into the right people, I could land a big sponsorship contract, right? Um, I knew that um, by looking around, I knew, for example, I'll give you another, I think, a powerful story, which I actually have never shared publicly. So so this is a first timer. But when I, I knew that I wanted to go to business school, right? I knew that that business school, especially, you know, going to a top business school was a huge door opener. I, I, I saw that from, from people around me. And so I applied to, I only wanted to, I was living in Norway at the time and I wanted to go to Columbia business school. For me, I wanted to get back to New York. And that was the, it was, at the time it was actually the number one business school in the country. Maybe it still is. I don't know. Um, and so I, I took the test, the GMATs, I studied for it. I got all of the you know, recommendations and you know, did everything, filled out the application, wrote the essays, you, you know, the, the jam. And so I sent it off, you know, and I mean, every weekend, right? There was no like Kaplan or Princeton review for the GMATs. Like I had to like buy the book and like have it sent over, you know, and on like a boat practically to get the book. And I buried myself in the library. Well, you know, I sent it in and for some reason, 
I have no idea why. I pulled up the application one day and lo and behold, believe it or not, wait for it. I spelled Columbia wrong. Uh, I spelled Columbia like the country and not with a U. So with an O instead of a U. Um, and you can like, you're like, what? How is that possible? Yeah, I get it in today's age. But in back then, they didn't have spell check. Wasn't that reliable? <laughs> okay. So they had looked at Columbia as if I was spelling the country, not the institution. So the academic institution. So I mean, when I mean to tell you when my heart literally like came out of my chest, I, I thought, oh, I saw like all of my dreams, all of my aspirations of going to the school just like crumbling. Right. So what did I do? I said, well, um, I can't fix what I wrote, but I can try to convince this school anyway that I'm the right person um, to go there. So I literally got a ticket, bought myself a ticket, got myself to the U.S., found out who the head of admissions was, literally um, went to Starbucks, bought two cups. I sat on the floor. It was like 7.30 in the morning, and I waited on the floor outside her office until she walked in. I saw the picture of her, so I knew it was her, and I literally said, Linda Meehan, I'll never forget her name, Linda Meehan. I said, do you have three minutes to talk to you. I just got here from Norway. I have applied. I just need to talk to you for a few minutes. And what was she supposed to say? Right. So, you know, anyway, as the story goes, I explained to her, um, you know, why I was applying, why this was the only school I was applying to, why I absolutely knew it was the right school for me and the blunder that I had done on the application and, and why that happened. All I have to say is that three weeks later, I'm sitting in my office in Norway and on the fax machine, because that's what we had back then, I get a fax from her. Congratulations. You've been accepted to Columbia. Big smiley face. Linda Meehan. Uh-huh. And, and I still have that paper. And it was, again, just such a staunch reminder that, you know, we make mistakes. We know what we know. We have only the tools that we have, Right. But there's always an opportunity to circumvent. There's always an opportunity to raise your hand and say, no, 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 uh, to eke your foot in the door and just get yourself those three minutes that you need to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, I do want to jump into what you're doing now, but I wanted the listeners just to get that painted picture because again, what you're doing now the magnitude of what it is going to do. And we're in the early stages. This is what's exciting. This is why I'm so excited to have Julie on now because I'm just letting you all know that are listening. You will be watching this on the big screen at some point because it is beautiful. And you know this grit of this woman. (laughs) And when she has something that is in her mind that she knows is going to benefit, because that's the other thing is there's, there's a benefit behind it. It's not just a self uh, project. This is for all women. And because of what Julie has been through for throughout her life, she is able to be that person that's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be the one that's going to be able to deliver this. So, um, can you just give us like, you know, just take us through this. How did this all come about? Why did it come about? And you guys will be able to listen to the excitement that happens, which is, um, you know, my favorite thing when you, when you feel the, the passion behind someone's voice. So just get ready. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I just 
uh, like I'll wind up to it is I will say, because I, I do think it's like all these stories are great and wonderful. And yes, I've had different, uh, but I like to be really honest about my career. You know, my career looks more like an EKG than it does a hockey stick. And I'm okay with that. As I've aged, I've kind of let go of this idea that we're going to get a gold medal for some senior executive title, or we're going to get a gold medal for a six figure salary. You know, I think it's about living true to who you are, um, you know, identifying what your family values are and what's important to you at any given point in time. I will say that I'm very proud that I've always managed to keep my toe in the working world. Um, again, EKG or not, uh, because that has, you know, proven to be really valuable for me and who I am and what I have needed and what I continue to need as my family, you know, ebbs and flows and needs different things. So that being said, you know, I could spend another half an hour talking about, you know, the different hats that I've worn and different types of, you know, career things that I've flowed in and out of. But I would say for everybody out there listening, just follow the breadcrumbs, right? Know what your strengths are, follow the breadcrumbs, like go inward and ask yourself at the end of each week, when did I feel lit up this week? And keep doing more of that. I mean, at the end of the day, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I also believe you're the average of, you know, what you're reading, listening, um, and digesting. So that being said, you know, all following all of these different breadcrumbs, um, you know, through the last kind of 10, 15 years have led me to really meaningful connection. Um, and whether it be through um, the different events and programs, you know, workshops, projects that I've been working on, and it led me to really focus in more on what women care about, right? Um, and have a being in conversation with women. And where I ultimately, you know, have kind of honed that is I'm, I'm passionate about revealing the truths about women's lives, right? And I'm happy to use myself and my own vulnerability as an on-ramp for those conversations. I think we as, as women benefit so much from sharing, um, cross-generational wisdom, um, from sharing with each other. And I think we need to foster a world where we are, all of us, uh, more vulnerable and, and opening ourselves up because that's that's when we grow, right? So that's kind of the backdrop to this is I, you know, I've been working in this space around women's issues and being a writer and a speaker and an advocate around things that are important for women. And I, based on my own midlife experience, particularly my own experience going through perimenopause and menopause, I felt very alone. I felt a certain degree of shame. Um, I hit I, I hit menopause, but menopause for anyone out there listening is when you actually have gone 12 months without a period. That is when you are, that is when that's the day you hit menopause and the day after you're postmenopausal. Um, so I hit menopause at, at call it 47, right? Which was early. And I had a whole host of different systems, uh, symptoms. It was a lonely time for me. I remember having very, you know, puberty-like, you know, meltdowns and emotions and mood swings. I mean, let's be honest, menopause is adult puberty. And and so through that, it, it, it was amazing. Like when I look back on it, I was going through all of that at the same time where I, my friendships were evolving, my the dynamics within my household, both with my children and my spouse were changing. My mother was growing older. I had questions about financial security. And, and really the one that hit me like a ton of bricks was what's next? 
Who am I today? What do I want? And what is this next chapter going to look like? Right? So these tectonic shifts are all going on while you're not feeling great, right? To put it mildly. And when I got to the other side of that a few years later, and I won't bore everyone with my journey, that's a whole other podcast episode. But and it was, and um, it's not boring, but yes. No, like can, no, no. We can but, have but, you on a million and times. And I do write articles and yeah, you know, I do yeah, you know, a lot of speaking about that. Uh, but I realized that no one should go through this alone. So I wanted to create a platform where women had the opportunity to share their midlife truth stories and, and really take, give them an opportunity and give them permission to pause and reflect about where they are in their lives, wherever they are in their midlife journey to actually say things out loud. And I have had the unbelievable privilege to, I think we're about like, you know, upwards towards 75, you know, women that I have sat with and had this hour long interview with and, and I video them and audio them. And, and so it's a real time capsule of what are the truths that women are facing in their lives as they transition into midlife. That's really kind of the, and we talk about all of it. We talk about everything I just said. We talk about the changes in our bodies due to perimenopause and menopause, evolving friendship, changing family dynamics, financial security, aging parents, and this question of what's next. So it's a really, it's a, it's, it's a really unbelievable conversation. Yeah. And I mean, and again, as you guys have heard, um, you know, Julie, this is, it is a beautiful, because again, it's, it's one of those things that are not, we were always taught not to talk about this stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to give a little, oh, we a, talk about little, sex too. Mm-hmm. But just it's, it's, yeah, but it's all, it's so important because I literally just went through, I mean, I went through some crazy hormone stuff, realized I was severely anemic, did not know that because I've tons of energy. And that was, I was like, wait a second. I had to just go through iron infusions. And every time the doctor would say, is your period heavy? And I'm like, I mean, I I, I guess, I mean, I don't sit with my friend and be like, can you, can I see your tampon? (laughs) (laughs) How many are you putting? Not that I wouldn't, because I am an open book and my listeners know that, but it is so important to talk about these things. After, you know, I was talking to a couple of women, they're like, oh, I just had to go through that iron infusion, you know, do this, do that. And then I was like, you know what? I need to get my daughter tested because she's been a little tired, I have to say, but life goes on and she's two years has just had a period. They the most severe anemia they've ever seen. And she's playing sports. I'm like, how are you surviving? And we eat well, but there's obviously something genetic with us that we, and and what we found out is that we bleed heavier and longer. And I was like, they're like, well, haven't you ever, doesn't this bother you? And I was like, I shove paper towels down my pants because I leak all the time, but I just go like, what am I going to do? No. And I think that's, I think that is what the red tent, I mean, people for, you know, there, there are societies that have a red tent where they are sharing this cross-generational wisdom. And I think we have to move in a direction where we can share these types of vulnerabilities with our loved ones and with our friends and with our communities. Um, and so I think it's, and that's what I'm hoping that this project, um, or I, I'm not even hoping, I mean, I will say with a certain degree of confidence, like it is, um, creating some change. I mean, the feedback that I've gotten from women and the emails and the letters and the, and the subsequent phone calls and the referrals is like, you know, they're really, it really has enabled them to, by saying things out loud, I like to say, 
we can actually hear it. We can touch it. We can smell it and we can do something about it. And so, and it's not, it's not a depressing story. Like it's not all like gloom and doom. Oh my God. I mean, the women that I speak to, they are saying that they feel stronger, more motivated, less attached to beauty. It's about, you know, lifespan or health span, not lifespan. It's, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many powerful stories of women, um, really using this time in their life to grow exponentially. But there are some real, you know, facets uh, that are tough and that women need to know that they're not alone. And just being by being able to share their stories, I'm able to kind of, you know, connect with them on that. And I'll just add that, you know, these themes that are coming out of this work will be, is already fodder for more content, more articles, um, books. I'm pitching right now a documentary out to um, a production company out in LA, really, you know, again, blowing up um, and amplifying midlife and menopause um, and what we go through. I love it. I love it. Well, again, we could sit here and talk for days and hours, which we might have to have you back on as this keeps evolving. Because again, it's important. And for all my male listeners that are listening to this, sorry about the um, paper towels. Um, but it's, it's important for you guys to know too, because maybe your wives are not talking about it. Maybe your wives are going through a little bit of emotional stuff and you don't realize because it's not an open thing to talk about in your house. And maybe you need to be the one that was like, you know what? I listened to this podcast. Hey, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? Because it's, again, being seen and heard and understood is what we all want as humans. And it can start with just one question uh, to do that. So Julie, I thank you so much for joining your next stop. Again, you guys can follow Julie everywhere, the Midlife Truth Project, but also which is easiest is julieflaxdad.com. You can also find her on Instagram, LinkedIn and all the places, but follow this journey because I'm telling you, you are going, you're going to be seeing, um, <laughs> there's going to be so much around this. So again, thank you so much, Julie. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Thank you. It was great to be in conversation with you. Love it. Love seeing your face. Love seeing your face. So you guys know what to do. Like, rate, review, and share. And again, if you listen to this and you're like, okay, that was an awesome story, but you're not thinking about who this could affect. You might have someone in your life that actually needs to hear this. So you need to share male listeners. Again, you might be like, oh, that's a lot of women stuff, but you don't know who needs to hear this in your family, your neighbor, someone that you're working with. Share, rate, like, and review. We'll see you guys for another episode of Your Next Stop. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends, and join in each week. 